Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, bots and cons to Tech Talk, the officially unofficial Transformers TCG podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Scott Landis of VectorSigma.info. And, uh, well, we're back talking about Gen Con again because even though we're now a few weeks out, there's still a ton of things to talk about. And actually, Scott, the official account gave you some recognition. Among other people, they are going through a bunch of people's decks, but relatively recent to when we're recording this they put your general optimus build up on the uh the official facebook page yeah it was pretty cool i mean i talked to him a bunch when i was there uh and they seem they seem to be scott especially seemed to be uh you know watching a lot of my games seeing how it played out making sure it was like i don't know like the way it was they envisioned it gotcha out, so yeah there were a few offhand comments from a number of the Watsi team members about General Optimus as a whole. <laughs> All of them in the, uh, I think they were confirming what the general populace was seeing, that, you know, he seems okay. Yeah, I think it's the fact that it was a mixed pip deck is really where I think they... Oh, for sure. Their, like where their desire to really highlight it has come from. Of course, and that definitely makes sense. They uh, they were definitely omnipresent at the event and definitely lurking around, or maybe not lurking, but they were definitely following a number of people's games to see how things shaped up over the course of the event. But rather than digress about that particular piece of the event, uh, this episode, we have a few things in mind here just to preface everything for everybody. Um, there's we may or may not get to the previews. We'll see how long this goes. Worst comes to worst, we'll you know throw it into a future episode because there's still a lot of time between now and Wave 4. But we did want to revisit and kind of use Gen Con as a case study, we'll say, about how to evaluate an event. It's the third part in our series, we'll say. So the first one being how to prepare for an event. Then the, the middle one, we talked a little bit before Gen Con about what to do when you're about to be at the event and during the event. And then this is afterwards looking back to evaluate and reflect on what happened. Did you make the right calls? Did you play properly? What can you do to improve and catapult yourself going forward? So, Scott, to that end, let's, I guess, take it a little bit before the event, overlap a little bit. So we'll talk a little bit about what we were expecting going into Gen Con. Uh, I know for my part, it was primarily, I was expecting a sea of orange. And I think for the most part, that kind of <laughs> manifested itself. Were you of the, the same opinion? Uh, yeah, but I guess it was like a little bit different. Um, I mean, I guess, I guess the question is whether or not you expected a sea of orange that was a, uh, you know, a wave, a uh, siege-based orange, or like just kind of like updated versions of older orange decks. That's a very good point. So, if we take a step back and think about it as a whole, and we were making recommendations to somebody, okay, I've how do I evaluate my decisions coming in? Like we were talking about, where do you start with that? So we were thinking, or that some variation of orange stuff going in that seemed to be okay was. Did it track because of, and again, trying to avoid being results-oriented? Yeah, it turned out orange, but is that because we made a right call or we just got lucky in that instance? Any thoughts on that front? Um, well, I think... Hmm. So, I, I think the cards... It's not only 
the, the issue of being early in a meta, so like it usually slants towards the aggressive decks to begin right. with in, in all games. Uh, because as we talked about in the past, like a control deck needs to understand the environment before it can hope to combat it. Right. Um, but I really, but I really believe that the slanted nature of this set, um, specifically like the Battlemaster focus. Yes. Uh, because you, you'll notice that there was no, I don't even like any deck that featured a MicroMaster. I'm sure probably didn't activate their ability once. Yeah, um, I don't think I even saw one. Maybe I like you said. I don't think any of them even flipped if they were there. Yeah, there weren't even a lot of people that were using like you know a four star character on purpose to, mm-hmm. to use a bigger like if it was a three wide deck. There wasn't even like a, a larger secondary character to to force you to even use a four star. A lot of people were just like, oh, I'll just use two fives or something like that instead. Right. Um, and even with star cards left over, the, I don't know if that's right, but that's what they chose to do. So. Um, to I guess to that extent, the, the the mechanics in the set mostly seem to have skewed uh, towards orange. Um, even though, in my opinion, there really weren't very many good. It's weird to say there aren't very many good orange battle cards in the set. I just think that the battlemaster yes. ability, um, especially the, I mean, lionizer was still the most popular orange by a base i would venture to say by a large margin i'm not i don't have any hard and fast numbers i'm sure we'll get that from the watsi team at some stage but yeah yeah i would i would i would think that he was the most popular siege character that probably saw play on the weekend right um but i just think i i just think that basically what happened with the battle masters was they were able to fill out star cost medium star cost holes in certain decks and pair with certain other orange-based characters already, yep. especially on the Autobot side. Um, so I think that's the way it turned out. Uh, but I'm not entirely sure that that's always going to be the case. I just think it certainly was here. Like you, you can see it at Origins. It was quite the opposite. At yes, least for, for sure. The, for the top 32 portion, it was not that way in the preliminaries per se. Even though, again, like I ran. I personally ran blue decks both times, like qualifying and in the top 32, although I ran a mostly orange deck in the second prelim that I played at, at Origins, for example. Gotcha. So, so I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, but mm-hmm. I, it might just be a reflection on the way this set is setting itself up to begin with or a leftover from the meta from before. Right. And we'll get into that as later on where we're going to talk about what the takeaways are and how we think they will influence both the store qualifiers and you know just generally what do you learn from the event moving forward but based on what you're saying a lot of what we saw was kind of what we expected because lionizer seemed to be the talk of the town going in at least to some extent uh I would say that the way that people used it, though, was different. So, like, I, I think the... I can agree with that. I think, the, I think the Cars decks that used it, I didn't expect as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't... Like, we didn't have that deck in it. Like, that pure deck in our gauntlet, for example. Like, a Lionizer XYZ Cars right. build. Um, you know, the... The Optimus Field Battlefield... Optimus Prime Battlefield Legend Lionizer RC deck we tested, and we had a Dinobot... Lionizer deck that I still think is very viable that we tested, but I'm not sure that 
I mean, we definitely had those in the gauntlet, just not specifically the one that had done the best, I guess you could say, or at least on day three. I don't know how. I assume those people use it to qualify, so yes. I would say probably did best on the weekend, per se. But I mean, there's something to be said that if if we operate under the assumption that people played it in the qualifiers and then in the open, there were a lot of lionizers at the tables. By definition, a lot of them should end up showing up. Uh, again, since we don't have, at least at the time of this recording, all of the specifics, we'll have to wait and see if that actually turned out to be the case. Yeah. I mean, just by virtue of sheer numbers, if half the event is lionizer something, you kind of expect that there's going to be a lot of lionizer in the at the top table. So, I don't think it was half the event. But it was right, yeah, I'm just important. exaggerating for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, it's, at least to some extent, it was kind of what we expected, but obviously there were gaps. There was only a month to really test everything. We're not going to fully explore everything. No one is going to. Uh do you feel that they're going forward with the mindset of how do we improve for the next event that there was anything different that should have been done at that early stage? Are you talking about how to improve for events like this, where you have a limited time frame to evaluate a new set or are you just talking in general? Well, I guess we'll do the former because there is the invitational coming up with wave four. Well, let, let me take that back. Let's focus on the, the store qualifiers, which will be wave three. So if, if you're going forward, what would you, at least a takeaway from the, the testing piece or meta prediction piece going into store qualifiers? Well, so the store qualifier will be a different situation because you'll actually have an established meta that's out there. Right. Um, to me, the store qualifier season as a whole should more represent should more closely resemble Origins results than Gen Con's results where you knew the meta going in and you could try to combat it. So from that perspective, what I learned beforehand is similar to what we talked about during a brief segment during the first one of these Mm -hmm. where we talked about the preparation in that don't forget the testing you did going in um, in order to see if there was some way that you were able to combat some of these strategies early on, early on in some variation were in your gauntlet to begin with. So if you, like, you know, if you had a Lionizer deck in your gauntlet and you had a Cars deck in your gauntlet and you found ways that they were strong or weak to, you may still have a way to combat the combination of the two of them by going back and figuring out what was good against them individually, for example. Makes sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, I follow you. So it, it's, and we've said, you said that we brought it up on a previous segment, but it bears repeating of don't forget the lessons learned is kind of, I guess, the way to summarize it. That yeah, those, the information that you had gathered previously is still valuable, which harkens back to another point that you had brought up on many occasions. Take notes of your given testing or how the event went or whatever, because then you can refer back to them. Whether it's the deck list, it's how the deck performed, the matchups, whatever the case may be. I mean, ideally, yeah. I mean, or if you know that the, the strategy is weak or strong against a certain thing. I mean, but, but the, the advantage that players have now is they have access to the top eight deck lists that were out there for the open. Yes. I think what people just need to understand is that the, the, 
we'll call it the day three open because it was like you know a Saturday for Gen Con and a, a Sunday for Origins. It's right, a right. much different representation of the metagame than the overall meta. Right. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that like if you go back and watch our daily, like I would. I would recommend that people can go back and watch our daily video recaps that we talked about the preliminary rounds, mm. but we don't have deck lists of the preliminary rounds except for the decks that we chose to run. Um, right. Most of which are represented in, in other deck lists that are out there. So I guess to that point, you could see what other people were running in the preliminaries, um, especially if you read the... Um, the various recaps that people have out there and things like that. Like you can try right. to determine what the, the overall metagame looked like, not just the open meta. And I think that's important because people go into the open with a different attitude. Like, uh, I mean, the, the origins open was a, the, the origins top 32 open was like, it was like a much different metagame than the preliminaries, for example. Right. This one was a little bit, of the same in a way because it was still a, a virtually unknown metagame with just some changes to people's decks but like there really again probably wasn't a lot of people that had some saturday only deck that they were going to run mm. um i know we i know we didn't for example so right I, I i don't think other people did as well but i, I could be wrong i don't uh, have been... oh god sorry no i mean as far as i talked to most people i played against i either played them in the preliminaries they were playing the same deck or I, when I talked to them in the open they were they, they played the same deck they played at that's, least one of the preliminaries that's basically what I was going to say it sounded as though at least the opponents that I played again basically repeating what you said that either I played them and they were running the same build maybe a couple cards different versus I didn't see anyone that I recognized from the preliminaries and then had completely audible to something totally different Obviously, I didn't watch all of the matches, but it appeared to be that way. Uh, <clears throat> I guess if I'm understanding your point correctly, it's that, and I'm going to make a, a magic reference, I know that there it's important to get a greater scope of what the meta is in general. Like you said, the, the Saturday event may not necessarily be the best microcosm to examine, the magic reference I was going to make is typically it's it's not just the top eight of a given event that you want to look at. It's who placed ninth and maybe bubbled out, but could have easily been there so that you get a greater idea of what's going on. Uh, it, it could definitely influence your decisions or everyone else's decisions as to, well, maybe that person just made a player or maybe that person just didn't quite make it. And without the extra information from the preliminaries, it does make that a little bit more challenging because... There could have been someone that just bubbled out on ninth at every event. I don't know if they did, but, you know, they just couldn't quite get there. But that means their deck or their build or their strategy doesn't get quite the limelight that the remainder do. Also, the single elimination nature of the open is extremely matchup dependent as well as play skill dependent. Of so, course. Um, the journey that they took from the top 32 to the top eight, for example or top mm. four, like, whatever you, whatever, however far in you want to go before you start to, like, start to test just these decks, um, would have been highly dependent on what they faced in the earlier rounds. Yes. And how well they played in the earlier rounds. So, um... And if I recall... Oh, God. Yeah, Sorry. 
when the information's available, I would just I would just look at as much of that top thirty two at minimum as possible. I just don't think there's going to be enough information beyond that unless people right. choose to do like deck deck techs on their preliminary decks and things like that. And some people have right. we have as well. Um, take a look at those. So one thing that I, if I recall correctly from Origins, the brackets were not ever released. It was like you could piece it together from everyone's reports to say, oh you know, Scott, you played whoever in top 32 and then you went on to play whoever in top 16, et cetera. But there was never an official Watsy release of the brackets. Is that accurate? Correct. But you could, I mean, if you had pictures of every pairing, you could figure it out. Right. Uh, point being is that that may be to your point of what someone's path to the top 16, the top eight, top four, the finals was. Because as you said, there are a number, uh-oh, <laughs> they're not happy somebody's about what i'm by. saying <laughs> somebody's walking by um it wouldn't be a show without them visiting us i mean it's a requirement at this stage <laughs> um so what i was saying is that it it's worth examining going forward how those that those brackets played out for exactly what you were describing the one that comes to mind for me is mark playing bugs into three wide optimus and a player playing it properly it wasn't pretty. So would it have been different if he got paired against somebody else? I mean, it it's one of those, it could have been, so it doesn't technically matter, but it does matter when you're trying to evaluate and t- do takeaways for when you're trying to prepare for the store series. Bugs isn't necessarily bad just because it didn't make a deeper run. It just didn't get the pairing it wanted and it's single elimination. So them's the breaks. The bugs in the- but there was a bug in the top four, so I mean, right? Uh, I mean, yeah, it, I don't Scott, know. well, I'm, it's more to the the point that I'm trying. Yes, I know there was a bugs in top <laughs> four. I, but it, I was trying to elaborate on the idea that it's not necessarily if somebody's run ended that early, it may not necessarily be indicative of that particular build. You have to go a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, but I, uh, but at the same time, I, I don't think that a lot of people out there can fairly evaluate anything beyond a deck being played at mm-hmm. this stage. Because I don't think that, I just think for most of the listeners out there, they just have no other thing. They have nothing else to evaluate other than the matchup. And like, they would know the matchup situation, but they would not know like without, I don't, I don't think the play skill thing can be taken into consideration at all. I just don't think that there's anything that can be, well, there's no real reasonable way to do that with, I mean, now that they stream some of the games, you can see what was done and maybe make an evaluation after that. But I agree with you that if it's just, you have two people playing, you have their decks, you know, the, the, the score. Yeah. It, it's tough to, to make a, uh, draw a conclusion from that. No, the best thing you could do is just, is just look at what people qualified with. Look at a review of how the event went. Like if you look at like the 78 person qualifier and you say that, you know, like I, when we talked about it, it was like, you know, Insecticons, Lionizer decks, a few of us running general optimists. But of course that was the first event that it had seen play. Right. So I think there was like three of us running it or something like that. And, you know, and old school card decks sprinkled into the rest of the, um, Lionizer based card decks, et cetera. And then evaluate what made the top eight. Like you can draw some conclusion that, you know, I think only like one Insecticon player made top eight, but there was probably, honestly, I don't know, 
Like if it was 25% of the field, I wouldn't be surprised, for example. There were a lot of bugs going around early on. But that's the reason why these Lionizer car decks didn't do as well in that qualifier either. Right. Because they got knocked they got knocked out by the Insecticon players who were eventually knocked out by the decks that made top eight, like General Optimus build, or like I know there was I know like my opponent that I drew with was like a shockwave player. Um I don't remember what else was in like that top eight, but but the point is is that the top thirty two open is very matchup dependent and very play skill dependent. The overall metagame is not. And if you are if, if information is available, I don't think like I said, I don't think information will be available unless players choose to release this is what I qualified with. Um, this is what I we do a deck tech on this is what I qualified with, and you fi- you can find that from various content creators. And I highly recommend you find that even on um, not as popular content creators because most of them will probably just cover that. Um, you would see a, a, a wider swath of decks that actually qualified, um, and then basically use. If you really want to get technical, like I would use our recap videos to figure out what was actually in the event and like figure out like what percentage of what kind of made it. You won't probably have every single. I mean, you won't have every single top thirty-two deck list. They will probably break down the characters, but you won't have the battle decks. But you can probably make an assumption of what the what was run even more scientific than we could provide in the moment uh, once Watsi releases like the characters that were played and things like that. So you can kind of look at what, and I'm sure they'll do this, like like the percentage of decks that were out there. But and then hopefully, I do know for a fact, for example, that we were able to say. The topic of the event was these decks. The topic of the event was these decks. So you can definitely look at, once Watsi releases the characters that were played, you can probably say, okay, of the 78 plus 54 plus 58 plus 33 decks that were played in all the qualifiers, here's the breakdown of it in all likelihood. And here's the top 32 that qualified based on, again, like our recaps. Mm. This is what the metagame should look like. That's what I can tell you. That's probably the best way to really attack it. Um, okay. Which maybe I'll do. I don't know. <laughs> if, I have, if, I, if, if people really want that, it would probably take me a while. But I can. I'm a big Scott. You're you're pinning yourself to something. You, you like you're painting yourself into a corner because I guarantee there's going to be a bunch of people that go, "Oh yeah, you should definitely do that." Because then you're doing the heavy lifting. It's a lot easier I mean, to consume I, it I, than. <laughs> but I, mean, I think the issue, though, I, I think most qualifier players like i would say a majority of them are not listening to this so let's start there well there's um, that so the ones that that aren't listening to this and aren't as conscious of what's going on i'm going to assume people listening to this are doing it for a reason to try to learn something mm-hmm. prove themselves um are probably just going to look at these top eight lists or whatever's available and just try either not tweak them at all or tweak them a little or do whatever they you know whatever they're going to do that, their testing or their decision making on what to play on that specific day and however many days they actually have qualifiers is in all likelihood going to be very influenced by those lists that are fully available. Right. Um, which leaves you as the educated player in order to get an edge, in order to go beyond that, to try to find information that's available out there as to what combated that. Because again, the open was very slanted towards matchups and play skills so i mean like i think the decks that made it 
may not always represent the full metagame, but at the same time, I do believe the top eight decks that were there are just going to influence the the qualifier metagame heavily. So, I mean, you can. Of course, I hesitate to say, of course, they are because that sounds so dismissive, but it's the only thing I can think of at the moment. Of course, they are because it's exactly what you said. It, either by virtue or lack of virtue, it, like if it's laziness or it's just they're new or people, you know, real life interfered or they just happen to gravitate towards one of those lists, I would anticipate a lot of people are just going to sleeve up the deck that won or sleeve up the deck that got close that they happen to like. Uh, that tends to be the case across a number of games anyway. It's not specific to here. I mean, like, let's let's look at my own example. Like, because mm. I'll use myself because I'm not here to, I'm not here to, like, attack anybody else or, or, like, say there's anything, an issue anywhere else. Right. Like, I made top four. So I won my top 32, that's top 32, top 16, top eight. I won three matches. So, and then I lost. So I was three and one. Well, when I qualified, I was five one. Now, granted, I played personally the same deck mm-hmm. um, in both in both um, the qualifier I qualified with, as well as um, the top thirty two open with some slight modifications to sideboarding and like one or two changes to the main deck. Mm-hmm. But I played the same general list. No pun intended. <laughs> I was about to so, say. <laughs> um, but I think my record in the preliminary was more important than my record in the open. So I guess I don't really know what my conclusion is. Like, I, I think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth and I, I don't really want to, but I don't know of a better way to say it. But like, I just think that the decks that people are going to run are heavily slammed based on the open results. And I think if you have the opportunity to talk to people or to do anything else and understand what happened in the preliminaries, it's probably going to give you a better edge because you you need to get an edge. There are larger events. It's a larger data set. It's not just that though. It's like everybody's going to have that data information. It's all right there on our website. Right. And I can tell you based on hits that there are people going there and looking at the list. So you need to get an edge on having, you know, having an edge on 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 everybody else that has access to that information. One way is test against these decks and figure out what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. go from there that's the obvious thing but the other way to easily gain information like i said is find out what beat them in the preliminaries because the other issue is if you qualified on either one of the mornings you couldn't play in the afternoons it was it was logistically impossible yes so for sure. so there's there's already a bias as to what happened in the later events later being like like time of the day because the players that qualified earlier weren't in it. So right. I'm not saying there was like I'm not saying there was like a quality issue. That's not what I mean. It's just that like you already had a subsection of players. And in all likelihood I mean we talked about it last time, like I think when we finished the eleven o'clock on Thursday, you were in round okay. It was like two or three, finished, I wanna say. Yeah, by the time we finished, you were done four rounds. That well, there. <laughs> that's a, a different discussion. <laughs> right? By the time the top eight was decided, most of the top eight was decided, you were probably like in your third round. Right. So if you, if you, if you extrapolate that out, there was a minimum 16 players that didn't play because those were the people playing for the top eight spots. 
And in reality, because you had drop out two rounds earlier, there was in all likelihood at least 32 players, if not 40 players, that were fighting for those top eight spots when you would have had to make the decision to drop out. Right. So the 54 players that were in the late one like, could have easily been 94 unique players if we just do some like simple, simple math. So... Rule number one, never do never do math on stream, Scott. Maybe you can, but I can't. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> I, I'm just, like, again, I, I don't I don't know that this is going to matter. It's just that I think what people need to understand is there's a larger metagame out there than just what happened in the open. Well, that's for sure. Unfortunately, that's, that's going to be a lot of what the information that's out there is available. Mm. Now, this is so, a, I don't want to say a larger discussion because maybe it's not that large, but the format for these events definitely, I mean, you just explained it, it skews the way things go, whereas typically you'd show up to an event, you'd play a, maybe a qualification day for top eight to say, or top 16 or top whatever, and then you play the next day. But in other games, it would be you're required to play the same thing. So the, the data is a little bit more consistent there. Now, we did talk about yeah. how... It it's appeared anyway that the majority of people ran the same deck that they qualified with, again, with modifications potentially, but the overall consistent idea. But we don't know for that for sure, and obviously if we look back at Origins, that was not the case there. So there is the potential that as you're trying to evaluate all these things that there are other variables impacting it, which I think is where you were going with it, Scott. I think that's a good point. Um, you're talking basically the difference between a Magic Pro Tour and this event, like yes, I, I think is is where you're going. Um, and I think that's a very fair assessment. Uh, obviously, at least the old school methodology of the Magic Pro Tours over the last few years was to include limited as well, but they would have enough data to show you what the top constructed decks were, regardless. So yes, and they usually um, posted both. Where you know, if it was yeah. day one is constructed, day two is limited, day three is constructed again. The people who top whatevered may because they may have done really well in limited, or the people who did good and constructed did poorly in limited, whatever it worked out. You could have a top eight decks from day one that are wildly different from what actually shows up in the official top eight, and that yeah, that's kind of the same scenario yeah. here, hypothetically, anyway. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think they, I think, astute grinding players which is what i'll call people that you know have to qualify still we'll right use that as a phrase would use all that information available so and you absolutely that, should yeah yeah as much as this information that's going to come out again i don't have access to it so um i have limited access to some information um uh is, is going to be the way to go right so I guess overall to to sum up that longer, I don't want to say tangent, but <clears throat> so we were talking about trying to see evaluating your own expectations coming into the event and how that could help you going forward, because obviously making an accurate meta call is going to greatly influence obviously what you play, but how you perform, because if you're just picking something out of a hat or rolling dice or you make a totally wrong call, you could have a very bad day. Then we moved on to talking about the structure of this particular event, but in general, it kind of boils down to make sure you get as much data from if you whether you were there or not, 
collate as much data as you can to see what did well, what didn't, why didn't it do well, how did it do well, that sort of thing. Is that would that be an accurate assessment or, or summation, Scott? I don't think you're going to get the latter, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are going to be limitations just by virtue of what's going on, and I know I had mentioned in a previous interview that we had done with Drew that I would love if there was official documentation, official releases of all this other stuff that realistically there's no way for someone to try and collect in the time frame. I mean, I I guess if you had a bystander sit there and just walk around every round and write it all down, but that that's an insane undertaking. Yeah, I mean, the lists are available. Mm. I just don't know whether they're going to be released or what the situation is going to be. Yeah. Uh, well, that remains to be seen at this stage. So if we look at now we're we're actually, I mean, we are right now after the event. Everything's com- in the books. Uh, looking back, what are the highlights that you would say, Scott, that you, if somebody was going into the store qualifier season that, okay, you need to focus on this aside from pull all the data if you can? <laughs> Um, it's, it's practice against the known commodities, understand where, uh, where the deck you're choosing to play sits in the, in the spectrum of the meta and like what, what, honestly, like what changes to sideboards you can probably make to assess what your bad matchups are. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe that the weakest part of any list you're going to see is the sideboard, my own, yours included. Yep. Um, honestly, I think yours might be a little more straightforward than mine was. Um, but... Well, there's there are some obvious inclusions for mine, so <laughs> right. there's only a right. handful of uh, floater spots. Yeah, but I but I believe I mean, and in, in, in players that I've talked, um, I mean, sideboarding overall is still like a an art rather than a science highly at this point mm-hmm. um so i would say the the biggest advancement that you make to any one of the lists that either exist or creating on your own is to understand exactly in each matchup what your strong and weak cards are in your main deck and sideboard so that you say okay these six cards are weak in this matchup so i need to bring in six better cards if possible Mm. And if that's sixty percent of your sideboard that you're bringing in is too much, yeah, that um, can definitely happen. Yeah, but I mean, like, if if there's a way to say you slant four out of the six specifically to that matchup, and then two out of the six are spots that are good in these other three matchups, but they're better than what you're going to be taking out anyway, then I would say go with that route, and that's the type of thing that you need to build upon, but. I would say the the number one weakness that players had, myself included, was not understanding how exactly how many cards I was going to take out in one matchup in order to figure out how many slots I dedicate to my sideboard to bring into that matchup. And by doing that, that's definitely the way you can definitely help yourself the most and give yourself an edge. Because anyone that just copies, I, I'm totally fine if people just want to copy people's main decks and not adjust them based on us, the assumption that they were the correct main decks. But if you just copy the sideboard, you're doing yourself a disservice because I know for a fact that a lot of them, again, A, are influenced by the top 32 single elimination nature of the open, yep. but also it, 
firsthand accounts from many people just weren't built properly, right? Myself included. So just take that with a grain of salt and try to do as much of the work of your on your own as you can in that situation. Well, I think that brings up a good point that. It, not to rehash the whole thing, but it's part of the evaluation of looking at the event and part of the evaluation of whether it's the open or it's the preliminaries. Carbon copying, whatever the deck list happens to be, like you said, this was the first major event and was really the first event with Siege that was that had a giant spotlight on it. So although everybody went in and everybody, including us, prepared a lot, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything's done. So I think that's an important takeaway going forward that it's there's still going to be improvement, there's still going to be iteration, not necessarily just on the sideboards, but also the main deck or as things evolve that, you know, there were decks in Wave 2 that seemed really strong in the beginning and then tapered off towards the end. And I would anticipate that we're going to see a similar pattern here where people just happen to be unprepared, whether it's because... It caught them blindsided from a strategy perspective, or they just were caught with a bad matchup and were flat-footed and it's single limb, like you said, in the open. But that particular deck may not necessarily have the staying power as people learn how it works. Yeah, I just hope, and we will do our best to gather as much information as possible. I've already had some players from that one... Um, sore uh, qualifiers? Sore qualifiers reach out to me directly. To, to send me their list or send me their write-ups and things like that. So we will do our best to put that information out there. I just believe that like you should do your homework to comb as much of the Facebook groups and things like that. That's just the location right now where that information is going to be available. Oh, right. To try to find that for yourself because I just we will do our best as much of that that's, that we can find as possible. But like, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough to find some of that information. So just keep that in mind. Of course. Yeah, there there are, I mean, we said it before, there are limitations on what you can or can't do logistically just because of where things are, how it happens to shake out. So, <clears throat> excuse me, moving from there, were there any other highlights from this particular event that you can kind of play ASOP and give us a, a moral of the story going forward for people that want to, they're looking forward to their store qualifiers or they're looking forward to, because they already qualified, or maybe the people who went to Gen Con or played in number of store qualifiers and are still hunting for that queue. Anything that stands out to you that we want to recommend for people as a whole, you're getting ready for an event. What do you take away from this one or an event you played previously? So I guess my biggest, my biggest piece of advice can probably come from how this event was the beginning of a new meta. So I guess I can give some advice from a from that perspective. That's still going to be accurate for a while because it's still pretty new. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say, I would say, what I heard from most players was, it, it it's it's funny. There, from some players, I've heard that they didn't do enough testing with Siege and new strategies completely from Siege. That was one part of it. Um, so as in they, just to clarify, as in they were basically testing Wave 2 stuff updated as opposed to brand new stuff. Is that what you're saying? Mostly. Gotcha. But at the same time, I felt like not enough players played Siege cards. So I, I feel like that is an accurate assessment that like, but I'm not, but I don't necessarily know that that was the right or wrong thing to do either. Um, I could see again, it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like. 
a lot of what people qualified with and played with were updated versions of of the earlier earlier meta. Uh, and I think some of what I could take away from this is don't ignore that past. Right. Uh, certainly don't ignore the lessons from it and and the like the how do I explain it? Like the 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 what beats what, like it's not rock, paper, scissors again, but like the the how the meta actually evolves and what you know what you can take from that really didn't change a whole lot. Right. So like, you know, for example, like Aerobots was still strong against Insecticons, for example. A lot of yes. people still played Insecticons, made no changes to their decks. You couldn't just I don't I think it was if you threw away the Rise of the Combiners meta and just said I'm only going to test against decks that we create on the fly that are new. I think that also was a mistake. Well, yes. Some amalgam of the two is where you needed to be. Right. And I think if you slanted yourself too, too far one way or the other, you did yourself a disservice. It makes sense. sense. No, that, that definitely makes sense. Cause it, and I've, I think I said that in my mistakes column way back in wave two is something to the same effect of you learn those lessons for a reason. And they aren't necessarily invalidated because a new set came out. And we are getting to that stage where, of course, every set is going to introduce new archetypes and influence previous ones. But as you're bringing in more cards, there's already a larger existing pool of cards. So it's not as large of a percentage change. So um, there's only going to be it's not we're introducing wholesale like a ton of wholesale new things like wave two did a lot more than that than probably wave three will do and then wave four will probably do sl- slightly less than three just by virtue of okay we already have the baseline and a lot of these existing strategies can be updated in some way i guess i just don't know how many players are willing to go to a larger of playing something that they have no tournament level experience with and i don't know necessarily whether or not the invitation was going to carry the same weight because there are a lot, a lot of players the attitude i hear is like i got I, I got there that's what that was my goal now i'm now i'm I, free balling is the only thing i can think of <laughs> <laughs> when you when you say that you're talking about you qualify for the saturday event you mean or you mean you qualify for the invitational you qualify for the invitational, so like now, now, so a lot of a lot of players seem to be like, okay, I need to qualify. My goal is to qualify for December. Uh-huh. The easiest way for me to do that is to play a deck that I'm familiar with, right? Get myself to Saturday, and now from Saturday, literally until the end of the season in December, I'm, I'm whatever I'm. Like I, my goal has been achieved. So I again, a free. It's now the off season. They can they can take a break yeah. until. <laughs> no, no, it's just that I can, they can be more aggressive with what they run that they don't have as much experience with. But they felt they needed to run something they were more comfortable with and had more mm. tournament level experience with to get that qualification. But now that they, have I got gotcha. you. Okay, they can be more. I don't know the word like more. Well, there's a lot of, I would say that the the pressure is off at that stage because it is, whether you're doing it consciously or not, it's okay. Your goal was, if your goal was to qualify, there's a lot of pressure for doing that. And then once you do that weight is lifted. So yeah, you can be a, 
you can be a lot more risky with the builds because there isn't as much on the line for you personally. Is that where you're you're going with it? Yeah, and we discussed this pre-show, and we're going to do a whole show on this mm-hmm. basic topic, so I don't want to get too far into it. Right. But, but I would say that I anticipate that December's Invitational will be different and people will be more willing to play on quote untested decks because their goal was to show up that day as opposed to win that day. Does that make sense? I follow what you're saying. I don't know if I necessarily agree. Uh, and again, like you said, we'll, we don't want to get too far into it. I would have gone. Sorry, everybody. I'm I'm stuttering a bit trying to find the appropriate words, but it's so I qualified and it's me hypothetically. I mean, I did, but that what we're talking yeah. about. So I qualified. <laughs> I played the deck that, you know, I I was playing bugs or I was playing cars or I was playing whatever, you know, a, a known quantity that I practiced inside and out. I would expect that people would be playing a lot looser, I guess through the qualifier season if they are then playing in them but then they would try and tighten it up again where okay now i need to i have a lot more data from siege one meta in that right now it's a a void between the end of september and uh like there, there's no more qualifiers at that stage so it's a i think people are going to put a lot of effort in and then probably go back to a more known thing hypothetically unless i mean obviously we're going to have siege two, so all bets are off. It's very difficult to predict at this stage what we're going to see then. That's my point. Like to me, if you want to, there's only two ways you're going to look at this. Mm-hmm. It'll mirror Gen Con, where people are too afraid to run the new strategies that will come out during siege two, even if they're discovered because they don't have tournament experience in playing them. Right. That's option one. Um, just a lack of confidence in running them, or a lack of ability to test enough of them with enough um, competition, which gets to our other points from other shows, mm-hmm. to feel confident in their Siege 2 base deck. Yep. And they'll fall back on their old strategies, which will, which again, like we did not think was going to happen as much at Gen Con and did. Yeah, um, I was... It, option one. I was personally shocked by the number of aerial bots, not to break it up, but go ahead. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then option two is they do trust either their you know, testing that they've done with friends and, and teammates going into uh, the Invitational or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when I say, like, fall back on all track, I, I specifically mean, like, a lot of what's going to be happening during this, qualif- you know, this qualifier season, so I really don't have a lot of information on that. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, they're going to be like, I like this. I'm already there. Regardless of the type of testing that I've gotten in, I'm going to play this cause I want to, because the pressure's off, I made it to the big show and I'm happy to be there. Right. That's There's really no other... Yeah, those are the, the two sides of the coin. I mean, <laughs> what other options do you have? Yeah. I don't... But, but I don't have an answer as to how people are going to act. I just assumed yeah. they were going to act in the latter at Gen Con and they acted more in the former. And I guess I understand why. Mm. Because to be honest with you, like we, we've been the ones harping on it's going to be difficult to qualify, and I'm sure they felt the same way. I mean, like right. ultimately, I want if you, again with extremely raw numbers, I would say there were probably 120 to 100 
35, 50 unique players at Gen and only 32 have qualified. And I think, I think we figured out something like five of them already had qualifications. So 27 new people. Let's just, I'm just throwing numbers out there. Yeah. 27, 28, somewhere between 25 and 30 new people qualified at Gen Con that were not already qualified in some way, shape, or form. Right. Um, and I mean, that, that's still only at like, you know, a fifth. So that still was quote easier than five people showing. I don't think five people show up to the qualifiers Yeah, that are unqualified. So it's still going to be more difficult in my opinion, to qualify during the store qualifiers than it was at either one of these large events, just based on numbers alone. Makes sense. Now, not, not probably not based on player skill, because if you travel to this event, I assume you felt you had a chance to qualify so right there's that but um you know i don't know what that says but but uh it, it is a factor i just don't know exactly what it says but you know. well it, it, i agree with you it is definitely a factor but it's it's one of those that uh, i can't even imagine a good way to to collate that information other than like okay third friday morning ask everybody you know, like interview every person individually, just a couple questions of, hey, you're playing today. What are you playing? Are you, obviously everyone's trying to win, but are you like really trying to win or are you, or are you right. just, <laughs> right. which sounds dumb and, and I don't mean to make too much of a joke out of it, but I mean, I've played in events before in other games where it's okay. I'm just showing up to, for funsies with this thing. And to your point, if people feel the qualification itself inherently was the value, then they may say, okay, I'm going to go to the big show. I'm going to be on the big stage with all the spotlights and I want to play something off the wall. Um, I could certainly see people reverting in this instance and maybe down the line where it's an unknown meta. As you said, the control decks need to figure out what's going on, but it's not just those decks. There are other ones where it's, the concept is there, but the refinement isn't. So it's maybe not a true combo deck, but some kind of interrelated combination between characters and battle cards that there's power there, but you got to work it out. And therefore it's so clunky that you just die to bugs or aerial bots just gets there because people have had the reps from months and months before. Yeah. I mean, I'll just give you an example of my own past. Like, I always had to grind my way to get to the Magic Pro Tour. And the players that always seemed to do the best were the ones that were already qualified from, at minimum, if not on the gravy train or like in the Hall of Fame or something like that. Like, right. that knew that the next event they had to really practice for was either was these larger events, not just solely the Pro Tour, but like the Grand Prix level events as well. Right. Um, as opposed to every week I need to go out and try to qualify. 150 players that are in the room is all going to get in. So I, it's very similar to the conversation we had about Origins versus Gen Con. Mm-hmm. When I was grinding the card again, I had to worry about the the standard meta that was around me, not including a new set. And then you would go to the Pro Tour, and it was all about showcasing a new set. Yep. So I didn't have as much turnaround time to to worry about that because Magic spoilers usually come out. And I assume that these spoilers will come out at a similar time frame. Right. Um, those players just had the the luxury of being able to test that earlier than I and had an advantage. And that's why you see. I mean, that's that was kind of a hidden factor that you saw 
a lot of players continue to do well just because they didn't have to grind yep. the completely different game, essentially, the whole time. So keep that in mind. Yeah, it, saying, I don't think okay. it's going to be as big a deal here because we have months at, anyway. Like you have at minimum October and November. Like, like you have at least October as an extra month of re- relaxation for, that everybody has. Yeah, like it's that. not going to be a quick turnaround where it's okay. We just got the set. It's time to play it. Let's get going. Um, you're yeah. gonna have, and or you, like you were just describing, coming right off the qualifiers and going, okay, it's a totally new format. Effectively, uh, right? You'll have a little bit of time to adjust, which is important. Yeah. But Although, least, I mean, like mm. these examples have existed. I right. myself. I- gone through them. So. And it's something that's relevant to the topic as a whole of trying to take the information that you've learned and apply it to the future one where it's, in this case, it's just an issue of resources, in this case, time. Uh, will you? We will have that turnaround time, but maybe that won't necessarily be the case going forward in future events, like 2020 plus kind of thing. Um, at least in this case, I know we talked about it offline at Gen Con, but the real life timing of a lot of this is going to be very interesting because for all the the Americans, November is a very packed month typically. Yeah, I guess if you care about that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you care about that kind of stuff. <laughs> there are Transformers to be played. Who cares about all that stuff? Um <laughs> but yeah, I could it it's gonna be very interesting as we get closer. Um, I can go to I, I can go to IHOP and I can get turned. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> IHOP of all places, like I'm that's. Just the... I'm just saying. Just Jesus. <laughs> oh my God! You know, sometimes I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes when I re- we record the shows and we, you know, either pre-show banter or we're prepping during the week or you know whenever or things that get said. Sometimes I wish I subtitled them. Because sometimes there are just things like this one would definitely be I could just go to IHOP <laughs> for hundred <laughs> percent. But honestly, like there's there's some weeks where it's like yeah that would be stretching it or whatever. So it, it I generally leave them out. But anyway, if anybody was wondering, it would be IHOP centric this time. Uh, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> anyway, so I don't remember what I was gonna say because that completely threw me off. Uh, you just said well, there's not gonna be a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, bringing it back to evaluating your, your previous events for our, our main topic, um, for me, a lot of it was, I feel that we, although there were some things like you had said, that the, the very specific decks, I think we were prepared going in with identifying that it was orange, a sea of orange, granted various types, but uh, I kind of expected that there would be well, we did see a lot of bugs, but a lot more of the aggressive old decks as opposed to the quantity of aerial bots that we saw, which I guess maybe there weren't that many. But in general, I think our our predictions there were accurate. And I think the methodology of how we arrived at it was also appropriate because like you described before, it's a new set. Uh, people... <clears throat> may or may not have time to either acquire or test all these things it's it would make sense that people would fall back on known quantities and also play something aggressive assuming that their opponents are going to trip up because their builds aren't refined Uh, i think that's something that's 
going forward at future events if you're in this same sort of scenario. Because we talked about the store qualifiers, which will be a different animal, but at the Energon Invitational and other future things, that that's something you want to keep in mind. Are you, is it a known meta or is it an unknown meta? And how does that influence it? Um, at the event, I think there were a lot of takeaways as far as, like you said, that there were adjustments even within the weekend itself, sideboard wise, main deck wise. And again, because of the adaptations from the preliminaries to the open of we think people played the same deck, but they didn't necessarily have to. And obviously it didn't have to be the exact list. So it's something to keep in mind as you go forward that, again, the type of format that you're playing is going to influence heavily what you want to run and what you want to see. Um, going from there, after the event and looking back, I think, I know, and Scott, you had mentioned this in, in the Discord, but it's important to go over your individual games and plays as far as why did you do certain things? I got knocked out in top eight and I can, you it's like seared into my memory, the mistakes that I made. And there are probably more, but those ones stood out to me and determining why you made those players. Was it a, a gap in your testing or was it something totally unexpected because it was an unknown meta or was it that you were just tired and you need to make sure you eat during the event or something like that uh, to carry that forward as you go to other events. Yeah, I mean, I have the luxury of seeing where my mistakes are. Yeah, the, sorry, you were breaking up, Scott. Say that again. I have the luxury of my top four match being on camera, so I can always go back at that as best as possible. Sure. Right. Search your memory bank or your games as best as possible. Or just record as much information as you can or mm. to to do that going forward. I don't know necessarily that um I mean I guess you can dwell again specifically on this event mm -hmm. as to you can evaluate your performance and again that's what we're talking about about in this individual event based on mistakes you might have made right but I would be careful to dismiss uh results based on non game factors such as what as well as such as fatigue and things like that, I would be careful to right. dismiss bad matchups based based on play mistakes or like um, assume that you would have just automatically won a match if you had done something else differently, and so therefore the match should the match up is in your favor. If you just wouldn't have made mistakes, be careful of that. Right. Um, but if you can truly evaluate based on some of these things, then I guess that's that's a good way of doing it. I would just be careful of not skewing yourself too much in the, in the direction of dismissing uh, results mm -hmm. based on like non-empirical evidence, I guess you would say. It, it's definitely a, a, a skill, it, just like anything else with the game. It, being able to remove yourself emotionally to some extent when reviewing the games, reviewing the event, reviewing whatever, where it's, and you and I constantly talk about stuff offline, like different plays, different lines, different builds, different whatevers. And we've had the discussion with other people as well. And it's, you have to be careful not to get, we'll call it attached to something you did or did not do. Because, and I think this is where you're going with it, Scott, that you could look back and say, oh, well, I took this line. That's correct. It just so happened that they lucked out. Or if I had only done 
this other thing, like you said, then the whole match would have been turned on its head. Well, the other person's not inherently a robot, so their lines of play are going to change. But it's there are variables that you're not going to be able to control. And you could also just quite simply, because I do this all the time, be incorrectly remembering things. That's why I always love it when my games are recorded, because then it's it's right there. It's not, I think I had this in hand, or I thought I did it in this sequence. It's, there's the game. Yeah, this this is a correlation to an earlier point made mm. about gaining information over your opponents. Like, everyone's going to have a copy. This is, very, this is similar. Um, right. Whatever deck you ran at Gen Con is in the past. Yep. Um, any attachment that you had and you thought it was the best thing to do that weekend... Um, is should be left on that floor. Um, I mean, you if you really still feel like you're comfortable with it, and you for some reason didn't qualify. Um, well, if you didn't qualify, I don't understand why you would think it's still the the right deck to. Um, well, there is the argument that if you feel you really did play a given deck poorly, and and if assuming that that is true. It may not necessarily have been a bad call, but I, I get what you're saying. There is no doubt more information available out there now than you had going in. Of course. So for you to un- not adapt what you had would be a fool's error. Yeah. Um, to, to, for you to think there's no adjustments needed would be a fool's error. I'm of course. Playing a different, I'm playing in a tournament this Saturday, and I'm playing a, a completely different deck, for example. Hmm. I may I'm not be because I, I love the if I <laughs> I may play the same thing just because the deck is really fun but uh, it, that's a different discussion. Yeah, but I, but I, like, like I'm not I'm going into this event trying to win it as well. It's not right. qualifying. Um, it, but who cares? I wouldn't care if it was. Again, that's a discussion for another day. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm playing what I feel is a better position deck than my own would be currently in this situation just to try it out and see how it does right um i'm not positive that's all but that's what i'm doing to try to gain more information um well that is kind of what it boils down to is that you want to it since it is so difficult to acquire all the information from the previous event one of the things you can do going forward to adapt is exactly what you're suggesting play something different at if you have the opportunity so that you can get the extra data yeah, under, that'll help you understand the why. Yep. Um, but I, I, I guess I just, I guess, as best as possible, take what you learned from the event, internalize it, but at the same time, just add it to the data sheet that you're collecting in your head or on paper or on a computer. Don't become attached to whatever your results were and the reasons why. Just, Just say... My matchup was this against this. My matchup was this against that. Um, it, you can put a footnote that if he would have done something differently, it might have gone in a different direction. But like, you have to. I would continue to play that matchup and see how it plays out. Don't just rely on the results that happened at the event itself. Of course, because again, chances chances are the play skill of the players might come into play. The other, like you said, the other player will adapt. Yep. As well, and it, it's a fool's errand to think that. They'll play the same way robotically that the other person did at all times. Exactly. So, yeah. Try, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. Moving from 
each of those points are important and it, it's it does boil down to and not to try and you know make everything so concise that it's a single sentence but it is coming down to information and the appropriate evaluation of the information so you need to not just collect the data but ensure that you're not inherently personally skewing your own data because of your personal feelings about a given matchup how the play patterns went or whatever it happened to be that you're you're being as objective about what happened and what the takeaways are so that you can apply them as actual lessons going forward it doesn't make any sense to run through the whole event and then be super salty about it and convince yourself (laughs) that you well it just if i happen to hit one more orange or one more you know whatever that doesn't matter you have to look at okay this is another data point does this data point now tip the scales to this other thought pattern or does it support the existing one that's kind of where where we're going with it yep uh anything else before we potentially go into the previews i any other specific things that whether it's a general or even just a, a particular data point or line item that you came across from this from gen con or other events that somebody may not think of to say oh well i didn't even think about that from my past tournament sort of thing they're all just they're all, i think they're i think the main thing is like as best as possible test the new sets that are available understand that there are powerful strategies there and finding them ahead of other players to give you an edge i think that was proven but at the same time well a there's a way there are there are still undiscovered old strategies that can still be found as you yep. will find with other players and there are improvements to existing strategies that will also be found uh so so none of these things do in absolute and again if this is the first time you're hearing like anything to do with tournament play or anything you didn't hear some of our previous episodes i highly recommend you go listen to the the prep one to understand how to actually use some of this and maybe adjust your doing locally going forward in order to to adapt to what we're talking makes sense yeah you can definitely check out the the past ones um there there's a lot of work that goes into it uh, for a lot of these things as you're prepping for events and evaluating them and actually playing in them like it, playing in them should be and we've said this on previous episodes really should be the easy part and all your heavy lifting was done in between events uh whether it's going back and looking to see how you can improve or whether it's preparing for the next one it it I think I said it on one of the previous ones, but it was always when I played sports, that was the plan. You win during the week and then you get the, the, the newspaper will report the W the following week. If you, if you, if you played in this and you feel that you were blindsided often by things that you were across the table from you, then you need to improve the prep section of what Yep. If if it's anything else, then you need to look more of like some of the things that we talked about today. But in all honesty, I bet you a lot of what needs to be improved is prep work going in. That's just the same thing for anybody. Yeah, so. that's that's always the constant struggle and uphill battle of you know. There's always new things to adapt to and new information to digest. Uh, only other thing that I I would throw out there is 
if this sounds like a lot, whether it's the the prep that we were just saying, the post evaluation, the getting ready for the event, like being there, it can be and it can feel overwhelming, but definitely seek out other people. <laughs> like you don't have to do it alone. That's why we're stressing so much the information aspect. There there's no one person that can sit there and test every matchup and know them all inside and out and then figure it like I doubt there's anybody who has enough time on their hands to accomplish that. Yeah, likely. <laughs> so point being is try and find those play groups, find, you know, check out our stuff because, you know, we're always talking about things, but um, you, you want to try and bring help in if you can. Yeah, and this, again, this is that's a lot of the stuff I talked about. We talked about. Oh, sorry. Absolutely. So uh, I think that'll close it up for at least this portion of our Gen Con reflections. I, we may or may not revisit again in a future episode because there, there's, I'm sure there's other things as soon as we sign off that we'll think of. But um, I think that'll close it up for now. Are you still feeling up to doing previews, Scott? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Uh, then, well. We can always split the show in two. If we- and so they did exactly that. Sorry for the abrupt ending, folks. This one ended up running a little bit long. So as we have in the past, we're splitting it into two episodes. So stay tuned for next time where we end up talking about the initial previews that had been revealed at Gen Con and then the subsequent days. So as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And please tune in next time for more Tech Talk. Hey, guys. Dan here from VectorSigma.info. We wanted to take this moment to thank all of our patrons for believing in the service we're providing. If you're not yet a member of a Patreon, feel free to click on the link for other podcasts like this one or verse videos or any of the other great content that we provide on our YouTube channel. Thanks, guys.